Arctic Fox Hunt, Beyond Barbarossa, Episode 11. The trooper from the 169th Infantry Division hesitated. The fir trees crowded together and he could not see more than 30 meters ahead. There were no roads, not even game trails that he could discern. The way ahead wound between the trees randomly. He took a big step over a fallen log, using his rifle to push away dead branches that scratched at his face and tugged at his uniform. To his left and right, comrades in their gray uniforms also struggled through the dark woods. To what end, he did not know. Some junior officer had said something about Murmansk before they'd left the relative comfort of barracks in Norway, but that seemed unlikely. He felt as if the forest stretched for eternity, ahead, behind, and to all sides, and he thought his fellow soldiers felt the same way. A dozen of them in the front rank stopped short, almost stumbling into thick bog. Someone cursed as his boots sank into mud. A sergeant called out a muted halt and assessed the situation. Which was the best way forward? Where was the enemy likely to be hiding? The soldier fought back his fear. This forest was too dark, too thick, too endless. It was like nothing he had ever known. This was the taiga of northern Russia, the boreal forest that stretches literally around the world, from Norway to Siberia, Alaska to Newfoundland, and even to Iceland and northern Scotland. To many unfamiliar with it, it felt haunted. Above, the sun shone bright. The air under the trees was hot and stuffy, even though it was not yet 4 a.m. In July, the German soldiers were marching or moving as best they could in the land of the midnight sun. These men were members of the 36th Gebirgskorps, or Mountain Corps of the Wehrmacht, and they were executing, or trying to execute, Operation Arctic Fox, moving through Lapland with their reluctant Finnish allies to destroy the Bolshevik threat of the Soviet Union. The date, July 1st, 1941. Welcome to Beyond Barbarossa, the first English-language podcast in the world to focus on the Eastern Front of World War II. I'm Scott Burry. This is part two of the series about Operation Silver Fox, Germany's little-appreciated invasion of the USSR in the far north on the shores of the Arctic Ocean. Operation Silver Fox started on June 22, 1941, the same day as Operation Barbarossa, the biggest land invasion in history. Simultaneous attacks along the German-Soviet border from the Baltic Sea to the Black. As we covered last episode, Operation Silver Fox had three phases. Operation Reindeer, 
the first move to seize the Pechenga area on Russia's north coast of the Arctic Ocean, Operation Platinum Fox, a drive farther east across the tundra toward the Russian port of Murmansk, a critical link in the lifeline of supplies from the USSR's Western allies. And Operation Arctic Fox, a simultaneous advance through the forests from Lapland to Murmansk and its rail link to the rest of the Soviet Union. So last episode covered those first two operations. The first went smoothly, with the German Army of Norway meeting no opposition. Operation Platinum Fox had a lot more trouble. So if you haven't heard that, I invite you to download and listen to episode 10 right now. It also gives the background on Finland that you really need to understand what's going on in the Second World War at this point. And if you're comfortable with that, let's get back to hunting the German Arctic fox. So to start, just one reminder from the last episode. In November 1939, the USSR invaded Finland, less than two months after it participated with Germany in carving up Poland. While the Soviets won the Winter War with Finland, they paid a high price. Quote, Though ultimately defeated, the Finns inflicted approximately 363,000 Soviet casualties at a cost of 70,000 Finnish soldiers wounded and killed in action, and they destroyed 3,543 Red Army tanks, despite deploying only 32 Vickers 6-ton Mark E light tanks and Renault FT light tanks, end quote, from Charles River Editor's Operation Silver Fox. As you can imagine, this made Finland very attractive as an ally to Hitler and the Nazis. So in 1941, Germany sent to Norway and Finland in preparation for Operation Barbarossa and the launch of Operation Silver Fox, three mountain divisions plus panzer units, Luftwaffe units, and into Lapland, one SS division, which turned out to be, well, not the same as their reputation. There, another myth exploded on Beyond Barbarossa. So as I said, while Operation Platinum Fox moved along the northern coast of the Arctic Ocean, simultaneously Operation Arctic Fox moved east as well, but about 400 kilometers farther south in Lapland. The plan was to retake the town of Sala, which the Finns had had to cede to the Soviets after the Winter War, in 1940. However, while Platinum Fox took place on the barren swampy tundra, Arctic Fox had to push through the taiga, thick evergreen forests. Apparently, the seeming endlessness of the thick evergreen forest unnerved the Germans, most of whom came from the more temperate and, let's not kid ourselves, civilized lands of Central Europe. Their forests are limited. There are towns and villages and farms. The taiga is the Eurasian word for the boreal forest, where I grew up. Yes, it's literally endless. It does wrap around the world. The same biome stretching 
from Norway and Sweden and Finland through Russia and Siberia, Kamchatka to Alaska, the Yukon Territory, the Northwest Territories, Northern Manitoba, Northern Ontario, Quebec, Labrador and Newfoundland, and even Iceland and Scotland. Dark, dense trees, bushes, swamps, and marshy ground. Not easy to move through on foot. Canoes make a lot more sense in this area, but they aren't well suited to transporting tanks and armored vehicles. A German military liaison officer with the Finnish military, General Waldemar Erfurt, reported on the uh, Germans' response to the boreal forest. Quote, The endless Karelian forests had a discomforting, indeed a downright sinister effect on German soldiers, many of whom had been raised in cities. They were depressed by the apparent limitlessness of the woods. On the other hand, the Finn, who had grown up in the forest, did not even notice the difficulties which made life hard for the German soldiers and, moreover, always knew how to act and what to do. End quote. So did the Soviets. So, the 36th Mountain Corps, uh, consisting of the 169th Infantry Division, the 40th and 211th Panzer Battalions, two motorized artillery battalions, two engineer battalions, flak or anti-aircraft units, and a naval werfer multiple rocket launcher battery. Supported by uh, the Luftwaffe of 50 combat planes and 10 reconnaissance, reconnaissance craft, and the uh, 6th SS Mountain Division, called Nord, or North. This sounds ominous, but it was really a division of new recruits, of police and guards, who had little training, little professionalism, and inadequate equipment. In fact, on the way to Finland, they lost 110 men in a fire on the transport ships. Another myth exploded the myth of the awesome lethal SS. This force in Lapland was under the command of General Hans Fiege, along with the Finnish 6th Division, commanded by General Hjalmar Silasvul, who knew the terrain and the enemy. The Germans arrived at the starting point on the border, exhausted after moving through forests with no roads, especially the SS Nord Division. Fieg planned an encirclement. He sent the 169th Infantry Division to the north of Sala and the 6th SS and the Finnish 6th Division to the south. The Finns started moving on July 1st. The next day, the Germans took Riga, Latvia. But back to the far north, under the midnight sun, at 2 a.m., under a clear blue sky, with a temperature at 80 degrees Fahrenheit or 27 Celsius, and millions of mosquitoes, the Germans launched an artillery bombardment, followed by a Stuka dive bomber attack on the Soviet forces. Then, with the afternoon sun behind them, the Germans moved forward, through forest fires that they had started with their artillery. A Red Army counterattack killed the SS commander. This, along with the relentless opposing fire, the burning forest, and the high casualty rates, destroyed the SS troops' morale. They retreated, and their unreliability led General Fiege to try to withdraw the division and send it back to Germany for retraining. 
Hitler, though, felt the division deserved punishment and ordered it pushed into the front lines. On the northern side of Sala, the 169th Infantry Division, with four other battalions, pushed farther, where they encountered 16 Soviet tanks. Heavy fighting caused major casualties on both sides. The Germans gained the town of Sala that day and held on in the face of strong Soviet counterattacks. However, they didn't manage that planned encirclement. The Soviet 122nd Rifle Division withdrew to the southeast. So the next day, July 12th, was the day that the USSR and the United Kingdom signed a mutual assistance pact. That same day, the 2nd Mountain Division, this is the one on the Arctic coast, um, sends seven battalions across the Litsa River again to push six miles or nine kilometers. The idea then was to turn south to outflank the Soviets that were opposing the 3rd Division at the Litsa River farther south. However, the combination of stony tundra and swamps proved to be a harder obstacle than even the Red Army. So on the 15th, the Soviets brought more troops from the north and trapped the 2nd Division. At the same time, Russian submarines were sinking ships that brought vital supplies to the Germans. So once again, Dietl decided to fall back. On the 15th, the Germans are near Leningrad. And in Lapland, Figa's 3rd Division also had to pause for several weeks to build roads through the forest. So the next day, July 16th, a little story here about the commander of the Army of Norway, Fiegel's and Dietl's commanding officer, General Nicholas von Falkenhorst. He came to inspect the 36th Division in the middle of Lapland and find out just what was holding things up. Apparently, when he came upon some German workers resting in the middle of the day, he kind of flew into a rage and called them lazy. Then he learned that with temperatures above 80 degrees Fahrenheit, the workers had decided to turn around their sleeping patterns, rest when it's hot, and do their work in the cooler part of the midnight sun. Falkenhorst rather sheepishly apologized. Another week later, July 26, with Platinum Fox and Arctic Fox stalled, the Luftwaffe was bombing Moscow. In Lapland, the 169th Infantry Division and the Finnish 6th Division made another push on both sides of Sala, north and south. They gained a couple of miles, but a Soviet counterattack again pushed them back. So here we are at the end of July. It's more than a month since the beginning of these operations. The Germans in Finland have advanced 13 miles from the starting point and suffered 25% casualties. Hitler then ordered most of these forces to withdraw, leaving only a holding force. Then on July 30th, the Royal Navy sent two aircraft carriers, HMS Furious and HMS Victorious, to northern Finland. They sent out obsolete torpedo bombers to Petsamo and Kirkenes, which, while they managed to hit the harbor, got shot down. The overall impact was negligible. But further to the south, 
a major event. Against the advice of his generals, Hitler decided to divert the Panzer groups from Army Group Center away from the drive on Moscow so that they could take part in the drives on Leningrad and Kiev, respectively. And on the 31st of July, through Goering, Hitler asked SS General Reinhard Heydrich to, quote, submit as soon as possible a general plan for the final solution of the Jewish question. On August 1st, the U.S. announced an oil embargo against aggressors, meaning Japan. And on that day, the Japanese occupied Saigon, Vietnam. In Eastern Europe, the SAS ordered the so-called registration of hundreds of Jewish and Polish intelligentsia in Stanislaviv, a city in, now in, in Ukraine, then in Poland. These men are subsequently tortured and murdered under the one-bullet one Jew method. On August 5th, the Germans completed their encirclement of Red Army forces east of Smolensk and took 300,000 prisoners. On August 6th, Army Group Center captured the city of Smolensk in Belarusia, now Belarus, and were poised for a straight strike at Moscow. But unfortunately, they were diverted. You can see episodes 5 and 6 for a full description of this situation. On August 7th, the Germans reached the Gulf of Finland, cutting Soviet forces in Estonia in two. On the 9th, Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill met in Argentia, Newfoundland, and signed the Atlantic Charter. This agreement outlined their goals for what would be the world would be after the end of the war, and included such ideas as banning territorial aggression, uh, in, enhancing or encouraging self-government and reduced trade restrictions, and global cooperation. On the 17th, so a week later, the Germans captured Narva, Estonia, another major blow against the Red Army. So we look back uh, on the 19th at uh, Operation Arctic Fox. The Finnish 6th Division makes another attack in the Sala area toward Murmansk, and they caught the Red Army by surprise. They achieved a partial encirclement, which was then uh, helped on August 24th and 25th by German Stukas. The Soviets lost 3,000 men dead and 2,000 prisoners as they retreated. On the 22nd of August, the Germans were advancing on Leningrad itself. Citizens there intensified their efforts to erect stronger defenses. On the 25th of August, shifting our focus further south, British and Soviet troops invaded Iran to uh, sort of save the abandoned oil fields for themselves, as well as secure important railways and routes to the Soviet Union. This would uh, create another supply line away for or out of reach of the Germans. This uh, operation also forced the Shah of Iran, Reza Pahlavi, to resign in favor of his son, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, who would rule the country until 1979. On the 28th of August, German forces took Tallinn, capital of Estonia. The Soviet evacuation from the city brought heavy casualties, more than 12,000 dead and dozens of ships sunk uh, in German and Finnish minefields in the Gulf of Finland. 
August 30th saw the beginning of a really interesting, romantic almost, operation, the Shetland Bus. British Special Operations Agents and Norwegian Patriots shuttled back and forth between Shetland, Scotland, and German-occupied Norway, taking weapons, people, supplies, and intelligence back and forth. It's the subject of an excellent book called The Yosing Affair by J.L. Oakley. I highly recommend it. Take a look. On September 1st, the Germans had taken a bridgehead on the east side of the Tutsa River in the Sala region in Lapland. And they kept going until on September 10th, when they again enveloped Soviet defenders in heights beyond the Volta River. But now, the 169th Infantry Division was, quote, a spent force, end quote. Just could not go any further. The supply lines had met their limit. On September 4th, the USS Greer became the first United States warship to be fired upon by a German U-boat in this war even though technically the United States was still a neutral power. On September 6th, 6,000 Jews were shot outside Vilnius, or also known as Wilna or Vilna. On September 7th, the RAF bombed Berlin heavily. September 8th is generally considered the beginning of the Siege of Leningrad, and we've got an episode on that coming up soon. On September 11th, Franklin Roosevelt ordered the United States Navy to shoot on sight if any ship or convoy is threatened. On September 16th, the city of Kiev, Ukraine, fell to the Germans. This resulted in 700,000 Soviet soldiers being captured by the Germans. It's a major blow for the USSR, their biggest in history. But Holding 700,000 men meant a lot of German forces were tied up too. On September 19th, with no hope of further reinforcements in the far north, the Germans retreated from the bridgehead across the Litsa River west of Murmansk. Mountain Corps Norway was ordered to hold the line as well as the Petsamo nickel mines. When the U.S. sent a letter to Finnish President Risto Riti threatening a crisis in relations between Finland and the United States, if the supplies delivered to the USSR by way of Murmansk under the Lend-Lease Plan were attacked en route, Finland had to make a decision. Reportedly, this letter made the President Riti angry because, again, the U.S. was not officially in the war yet. But still, Riti, all of Finland, knew they could not be seen as leading Operation Arctic Fox. So Operation Arctic Fox stalled, short of its objective, that is, cutting off the Murmansk Railroad. At the beginning of October, as you can hear in Episodes 8 and 9 of this podcast, the Germans began Operation Typhoon. The Central or the Army Group Center began its all-out offensive against Moscow to capture the city by the beginning of winter. But by the 8th, as they reached the Sea of Azov in the south and captured the city of Mariupol, the 
Rasputitsa began, the season of mud that pretty much stops tanks and men from moving forward. Still, the Germans pushed on, sloshing through the mud, managing to encircle another 660,000 Red Army troops near Vyazma, east of Smolensk, on the highway to Moscow. October 12th was the uh, Bloody Sunday Massacre at Slaneslaviv, where Germans rounded up and shot 8,000 to 12,000 Jews, dumping their bodies into pits. By the 13th or the middle of October, the temperature around Moscow was dropping, the ground was getting harder, and the Germans readied another drive toward Moscow. The Soviet Union began moving government departments and some of its high command to cities beyond the reach of the Luftwaffe, farther to the east. Stalin, however, remained in Moscow. Meanwhile, the citizens of Moscow frantically began building tank traps and other fortifications around the city. On the 17th, the destroyer USS Kearney was torpedoed and damaged by a German U-boat near Finland, sorry, near Iceland, killing 11 sailors, the first American military casualties of the war. October 24th, the mining and industrial center of Kharkiv in Ukraine fell to German Army Group South. And on the 29th, the Germans liquidated the Vilna Ghetto II. 2,500 people died, civilians. On October 30th, President Roosevelt approved $1 billion U.S. dollars in lend-lease aid to the Soviet Union. Same day, the Finnish Third Corps launched another offensive, pushing past the 1939 borders, so its original borders before the Winter War, toward Murmansk. On the 13th of November, the Germans restarted their offensive. This was going to be the big one, straight on Moscow, as the muddy ground froze again. Same day, the aircraft carrier HMS Ark Royal was torpedoed by German submarines and sank in the Mediterranean the next day. But on November 17th, the Finnish high command ordered an end to the offensive at Salo. It was responding to that pressure I mentioned earlier from the U.S. against impeding the flow of supplies to the USSR. And on the 22nd of November, Britain issued an ultimatum to Finland to end war with the Soviet Union or face war with the Allies. So Operations Arctic Fox and Platinum Fox ended with 10,300 Germans killed or wounded more than a third of the total German forces in the far north. Their accomplishment? 22 miles in 10 weeks of heavy fighting. Dietl's 2nd and 3rd Gebirgsjägers did not get close to Murmansk, and the closest that Fiege got to cutting the railroad was 30 kilometers, or 19 miles west of it. But to really understand the whole of Operation Silver Fox and the effect of the operations in the north on the rest of the war, we have to turn our attention a bit farther south to Operation Barbarossa itself. And that's a good place for this episode to stop. So next week, we'll do another little step back, another catch-up, uh, just a little, to look at another important battle that uh, I haven't covered yet, the battle for the Crimean Peninsula 
which, like Silver Fox, spanned a time that included some of the operations we've already covered. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Barbarossa, the podcast about the Eastern Front of the Second World War. For a better understanding of the progress of the war, please see the maps and photos on the website beyondbarbarossa.ca and in the show notes. You can also listen to the episode on my own website, writtenword.ca, and click on the podcast button in the banner, or on any major podcast app. Thanks to all who have supported the podcast through Patreon. Your financial support goes to better audio equipment, research, and support for charities that help Ukrainian refugees. Also, I'm happy to say that the bonus episode on the invasion of Poland is now available to Patreon supporters. If you like this episode, or any of the others, consider following Beyond Barbarossa on your preferred podcasting app. And I'd really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or whatever you listen to. It really helps spread the word to others who are interested in history. If you find I've made any errors, please let me know. Or if you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at contact at beyondbarbarossa.ca or through the Facebook Beyond Barbarossa page. You can also find me, Scott Burry, author on the web, on social media as well. Original music was composed and recorded by Nicholas Burry. I'm Scott Burry. Till next time, keep your paddles in the water. Slava Ukraina. <laughs>